Well, very, very warm welcome to everybody, both here and on Zoom. Welcome, Zoom people, especially friends and family who are here. Gosh, isn't it lovely? My name is Liz Gray. It's so lovely to be together with you all in person and on Zoom. Don't worry, we don't, we're not forgetting you. It's so lovely to be witnessing to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So lovely to be worshipping in our new canopy church, as we are calling it. And yet to still have the technology which allows us to welcome others from their homes. So glorious to be baptizing Lottie and Sophie and Marcus this morning. So welcome everybody. Welcome everybody who's near and far. And uh, comments from the crowd that are here later about how this works for you. Feedback's always welcome. So kids, I don't know if you were listening carefully to that gospel passage, but I hope that you did hear about the women running to the tomb and they're finding an angel. And they were terrified and they were really frightened. You're welcome to listen to me over the next little while, but if you want to maybe draw an angel or draw that scene, you'd be very welcome. And there are things for the kids over by that wall over there if you want to pick up any paper and pencils and things. But now for all of you, whether here or on Zoom, take a moment, exhale, inhale, acknowledge your feelings. How are you feeling sitting right here, right now? It's probably a mixture of feelings, a mixture of delight and excitement, but also perhaps a little bit of uncertainty, a little bit of social anxiety perhaps. I bet you haven't been this close to so many people in quite a while. So acknowledge that, feel that, let yourself experience that in your body. And then kind of behind your masks, you can smile at people. That's okay, they can see your smiley eyes. But today we are witnesses to a moment. We're witnesses to this first in outdoor service. And that gospel we just heard read today now was about witnesses, women who came to the tomb. These women who had been the last people at the cross, the last people who had helped Jesus' body be lowered from the cross to be wrapped and carried to this tomb. And here they are in the morning light, running as fast as they could, full of grief, full of burden, holding the weight of the spices they were bringing, nervously anticipating what was ahead of them. They were equipped, they knew what they needed to do, but they also knew they needed help. They needed someone to get the stone away. They didn't actually know how they were going to get through this next phase, what they were going to need to implement their plan. I think these women were probably feeling a little bit overwhelmed. I think they probably needed to do some deep breathing and they were probably had a whole lot of feelings. So they ran across the town, trying to maybe avoid being seen, avoid being spotted by people, trying to get to the tomb. The death of Jesus was a hot topic of the day, this itinerant preacher who was so beloved by his followers. This man who had made such bizarre claims about himself and for himself. But the women loved him and they were coming to embalm his body. They were ready to ask for help. And so for a minute, imagine their shock, their fear, their alarm when they get there and see that the stone is gone before. What's happened? Will, will his body be there? Who moved the stone? Did they do it for good reasons or bad reasons? What were they going to find as they peeked inside the tomb on that morning? 
something about the last thing they were expecting to see right then was an angel. Finding it open and empty and an angel just sitting there, waiting for them, calmly. They were terrified. They were ready to run, but the angel just slows them down and stops and gives them a message, so tender. I love the way that Peter is deliberately called out. And they say, go and tell Peter. He's feeling pretty awful this morning. He's got some kind of shame issues going on. His breathing is pretty erratic. He's feeling all the feelings. Can you make sure that he knows that he's included in this message? Can you make sure of that, please, ladies? And so the ladies were, were the first witnesses to the empty tomb, the first witnesses to the resurrection, the first witnesses, and they were pretty scared. I don't know if any of you have ever been a witness to something. Maybe you've been a bridesmaid or a groomsman, been a witness at a wedding. We've got family and friends and sponsors here for baptisms. They're going to witness a baptism. Perhaps in a, you've been a witness to a crash or an accident or, or something more unpleasant. But witnessing is something where you then have evidence. You have evidence of something that you have seen, something which you have seen from your perspective. Being a witness gives you facts to share, details to relate, but being a witness almost invariably to some extent changes you. You will be changed by the things you witness. Whether it's you've made a promise as a, as a sponsor at a baptism or whether you've seen something which you then need to tell others about, you are changed by the things that you witness. And so being a witness also often carries some level of responsibility with it, a responsibility to tell. For these women and for the disciples, Jesus' disciples, these witnesses to the resurrection, this transformed their lives. They were all changed forever from this day onwards. For many of them, they gave up their day jobs. They stopped being fishermen or whatever they'd been before in order to tell, the, to witness to the story more effectively. Even their characters some, somewhat changed. Peter changed from being the one who stood there being doubt, a, a betrayer to a preacher. The disciples all in the days ahead will emerge from the holes they've run to to begin to spread this news around the region. Think of the stories of Philip and John and Thomas traveling around the world, spreading the story that they were witnesses to. All their priorities were turned upside down by this day. And I think that's one of the most compelling reasons to actually believe in the story. The fact that there were these people who were prepared to just accept it and change their lives because of what they now saw. They became people who were willing to undergo suffering and even to die for the message they now held. I wonder if that's a question you've ever wrestled with. The question about for whom or what would I be prepared to die? It's a question I've actually asked myself repeatedly over the last few weeks as I've watched the news unfolding in Myanmar. It's a country which is very, very dear to me. And when I see these students in the streets, it reminds me of the students I used to go to Burma to teach in a teacher training college. It reminds me of the young faces. I look at these kids who are running and protesting on the streets of the cities around Burma and I think, what would I be prepared to die for? 
Early on in the conflict, there was an image of a nun who came and knelt before the Tatmadaw, the Burmese army. And she said, take my life, shoot me instead of these young people. They refused to do it. But could I do that? Could I kneel before someone and ask them to shoot me for a cause I believe in? Jesus was prepared to die for the cause of what he believed in. And we've watched him this week with every service as a man walking on the earth as he deliberately walked into this trap which others thought that they had laid for him. Controlling the narrative and yet the victim of it, willingly giving up his life for the cause which was dearest to his heart, the cause of you and the cause of me, the cause of opening a way to enable us to come into God's presence to be loved, the cause of paying our debt, taking on his shoulders every single sin committed by you and by me. It was the biggest cause of all time in all creation. Jesus knew what he would die for. But before he died, he said this, reading from Mark chapter 8, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In his resurrection, Jesus invites us to be witnesses, but then also participants. And it turns out that this is, of course, way more than we can do. And so in order for us to fulfill our role as witnesses and participants, he gives us two quite remarkable gifts. The first is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in a few weeks, we will remember the resurrected Christ breathing on his disciples and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. And today we will pray very specifically for Lottie and Sophie and Marcus that they will receive the Holy Spirit. But as we do so, I invite you all at that moment in the baptism to hold out your hands as well. And to say, Jesus, will you fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit? Come, Holy Spirit, breathe in, breathe out. God is here and he wants to be inside us. He wants to be in us, with us, teaching, leading, guiding, breathing hope and direction giving us courage to be the witnesses that he calls us to be. And the second is a gift. Most of the time, I think we think this is a gift, the gift of being a part of the church. Occasionally, the church can be a little troublesome, but after all, it's a gift. It's such a gift. As I look at you, this church, this part of the body, it's with such joy. What a good thing to be part of a church. What a good thing to be witnesses together. Isn't it good to know that together we can engage in this adventure of expectantly awaiting the new kingdom of God, the new heaven and the new earth, together becoming more holy, together counting each, calling each other to account, together, as we've been learning in Corinthians, learning how to put aside divisions, and together inviting others, inviting others to come with us on this journey. And that's one of the things we're doing at baptism. We're inviting people to be with us. Baptism is a celebration of the life of the church. This is who we are. 
This is who we are together. And so today we are kind of officially inviting Sophie and Lottie and Marcus to be recognized spiritually as being a part of God's body as they come to be baptized. That moment with a splash of water, they will figuratively die with Christ and be tied to him. And we baptize babies and children so that they can be marked as Christians, so that they can be raised as followers of Christ inviting them to return later at confirmation perhaps to make a personal confession of faith in baptism we are splashed or washed or sometimes submerged with water all of them representing a sign of death and renewal identifying with the death of christ that we have remembered this week as we appropriate the good news of the crucifixion and the good news of the resurrection and as we do so we then go forward marked, marked as witnesses, marked as part of Christ's family. We stand in the line of these women way back to that first Easter day. I love that phrase in Hebrews where it talks about a great cloud of witnesses, and we are a part of that. And we know that as we enter this race, we do so knowing that although we cannot die for our own sins, identifying with Christ we will be called to be witnesses. We may well be called to suffer. Wholehearted commitment to the story involves stepping into hard places in this world as we follow his lead into working for justice and truth. The story of Easter also reminds us that in this world there are powerful, brutal forces who would seek to destroy goodness, where earthly power is wielded with violence, stripping life from the weak, trampling on the voiceless, we see that all around us. But the joy of Easter comes with a confidence in forgiveness, a trust in hope, a delight in the truth that together we are the church, Christ's body, welcoming others to a hope that we will indeed see the new heaven and the new earth as we follow Christ's lead as quiet, closely as we can. In a moment, we'll just have a moment of quiet, and in that, I invite you to think, how are you currently being a witness to Christ today? And how does being a witness call you to change and perhaps to suffer? How and where is God calling you to witness? Giving thanks that Christ's decision as he died was to say your name, to choose to die for you, and that even as he rose, he rose with you in mind. Take note that you are not alone. You are part of a great cloud of witnesses steadily moving through the ages towards the day when Christ returns, all darkness is vanquished, and we will worship with all people across time and space. So let us look for his coming again, and until that day, stand tall with confidence in the one to whom we bear witness. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Alleluia, Jesus Christ is risen today. Alleluia.